Let's go, boys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along. I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was. I just want to thank you. Yeah, no, it was me. He wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting on his glove. Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last oh. night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing today. We're just sort of just winging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Street Press Podcast. It's good to have you with me uh, wherever you are. You might be exercising, you might be driving your car, you might be sitting at work listening to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Uh, I know you might be thinking if you have been listening to a few episodes, uh, today's Monday, it's not Wednesday. Usually I do the drop on a Wednesday. Well, surprise, surprise, I am dropping two podcasts this week. The reason is today's guest, he has a gig at the end of this week. So I thought, you know, why not do a little extra promotion? Um, It would be pointless if I drop this episode in a couple of weeks' time and the gig has already been. So today's artist is Mick Thomas from Weddings, Parties, Anything. They uh, took out the Aria in 1993 with this song, Father's Day. Any other day, I might care what you say, but every Saturday it's Father's Day. Yeah, it was an absolute smash hit, and it was up against the likes of uh, Crowded House, Weather With You, Diesel's Tip of My Tongue, so there was some pretty good competition uh, that year for Song of the Year, but uh, we talk about a range of things. We talk about that song. We also talk about how Mick has spent the last couple of years. Uh, obviously, things were a bit quiet, but he spent most of it in his backyard. Not in the garden. Uh, he's got a studio there. And we also talk about when weddings first began. I think this is a really inspiring tale. When the band started out, they were playing to no one. Week in, week out. And uh, I just find it amazing that they, they stuck at it, they knew they loved music, they knew they loved songwriting, and they thought one day it will crack. And to think that they're standing on this stage, there's not much of an audience, and then fast forward a couple of years, they're standing on stage to win an ARIA award. And um, I, I just love that story. It, <laughs> that story hits home with me. I remember when I was starting out with my bands, I, I can tell you actually, a specific moment. It would have been about 2007, Hamilton Hotel, which is a uh, which is a pub in Newcastle. I was in a band called Three Days Ago. We were a sort of a punk outfit. We uh, packed the car up. Um, we drove to the gig. It was about an hour and a half there. We we're probably getting paid very little, if we were getting paid at all, actually. And uh, we played to <laughs> the sound tech at the back of the room and a photographer. It's pretty debilitating when that happens. Um, but I suppose that's why mixed story <laughs> clicks with me so well. I remember those days where uh, you just loved playing music so much and you loved writing songs and all you ever wanted to do was play them live and then you turn up to a gig and no one's there. It happens. That's life. But you, uh, you jump back on the saddle and you go again. We also talk about Mick's dislike, I wouldn't say hatred, but his dislike of, uh, you know, people communicating online, using social media and text messaging and always staring at their phones. He's a sort of old school in the way that he likes to pick up the phone and call someone and ask them how they're doing. Um, and he did a lot of that during the pandemic. So let's bring him on. Today's guest, Mick Thomas from Weddings, Parties, Anything. 
Mick, how you doing, mate? Not too bad. Yourself? I'm doing well. How, how are things down in Melbourne? Still pretty cold here, but the sun's shining, so it's nice. Um, haven't been locked down for a few months, so you know, it's, it's sort of getting back to normal. Definitely down in Melbourne, it was the lockdowns that you guys used faced. It was a long time to be locked up. Um, how did you? How did you use the time? I, I used it pretty productively. I got a couple of albums made and released, and they were really good. And they're, they're kind of records that will be records of their time, you know. They'll be reflective of that period. And so, yeah, it was good. I mean, it, it just meant that I was sitting there on my own in a backyard studio for a lot of it. But uh, it was terribly frustrating more, you know, like there was two really big lockdowns, but it was the little ones coming out of it that seemed to be sort of brutal. You were just talking about your backyard studio. Um, do you do all your work through that studio? Oh, look, I've had access to my own studio for a long time, but I've always made it a real rule that I'm not bound to record in my own studio. Like, I, I sort of see it as something that takes up the slack. You know, if I'm working on a soundtrack or someone you know, wants to do something, run, run some demos. You know, as far as my records go, personally, I kind of want to go to another studio and have someone else do the the, the, the knobs. I just think that's a better way to go, I think. And I suppose, especially having an extra set of eyes and ears over over what you're doing is always good. You know, having the producer, the engineer, having the rest of the guys in the band around you, obviously uh, that can that can make you a better songwriter too. Yeah, well, totally. And it's, everyone's different. The way I'm wired up as a, as a person, I like to work with other people. I like being around other people. I like spending what they've got to offer and rather than just be, you know, sort of beavering away on my own. So even, especially with the records, the first one that we did, which is called See You on the Other Side, which is April 2020, was was, was recorded. And um, I made a real uh, effort with that to make sure that I was sending those files out to the other band members, to other, other singer-songwriters to get other people on that record. So that ended up having a good 20 people on that record. And, you know, it was they weren't all in the room at the same time. Does it blow your mind a little bit that it can be done this way? Oh, look, it totally does. I, I just know that the technology wasn't there even as recently as 10 years ago to do that. You know, you'd sort of hear about it, but it'd always be like a Elton John did a, a vocal on so-and-so's song remotely, you know, they were in America. And that was the people who were really high-powered, who had big studios and probably had access to really, you know, kick-ass um, internet connections that the rest of us didn't have. But now, you know, now that it is possible, it's kind of amazing to think you can do records like that and you can can record like that. I was talking to a producer a couple of days ago and he was saying that some of the files he was getting sent through the pandemic, he couldn't tell whether they were recorded in a proper studio or just from home. That's how good it was coming through. Look, it is. I mean, basically, the stuff you can buy, like, like I mean, even as simple as, I mean, when I bought that initial setup to record the waste, and I, I paid fifteen hundred bucks for this for a microphone, and and it's been a really good microphone through the years. But you could buy a microphone that's pretty much going to do that same thing now for two hundred bucks. Absolutely, yeah. The world has changed a lot. Look, it's great to have you on the phone. I was listening to an interview. You're actually talking about how you used the phone during the pandemic. Um, you started a bit of a movement. You were calling your friends. Yeah. It's kind of a generational thing, isn't it? That like some people just don't answer the phone, you know. Some people sort of, you know, you need to kind of almost book a phone call with them, especially probably anyone under the age of say thirty-five, I'd say, you know, these days. But people just don't don't answer the phone, and I find it terribly frustrating when you're just texting back and forth with people and you're saying, "Can we just pick up the phone?" And I'm still old school enough that you know, if something's going on with someone, I'll just pick up the phone and ring them straight away. 
you know, I get all these, I hate to say it, but, you know, from the millennials down, and, you know, you'll ring twice and then you'll get this sort of slightly angry text message saying, you know, I'm not going to be free till 5.30. And I go, well, in the time that you took to write that text, I could have said what I had to say, you know. But it was really important during the, the pandemic and during all those lockdowns that people spoke to each other, that people sort of did keep some connection, you know. Look, um, this morning, Mick, I was up at like, uh, I was up at 3am, I, I start work really early and I started playing some of the music then, um, <laughs> nice and early. I was putting on weddings, going through solo stuff and I was like, holy shit, you've got so much music, like so much music. You've got your solo thing, you've got the two bands. I just don't know how you can produce so much music. Oh, I mean, just not dying has been a big part of it, just keeping going, you know. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, the people are, are dropping off. I've, I've been sort of pretty um, systematic about going through the, the backlog and making sure that, that there's not something that's left there that's, you know, um, some little gem, you know. And it sort of provides a nice diary of my creative life because I, I tend to, if I write something, I'll, I'll date it and, you know, uh, it's there. But certainly once you get a couple of albums in front in terms of what you've written, there's this kind of comfortable stroke uncomfortable situation where if you write something, it mightn't necessarily see the light of day for a long time, you know? And look, I, I just know that was always the way from pretty early on. The weddings were always at least one or two albums in front. Wow. I think that's quite rare, though, from people I speak to to be that far ahead. I don't think you find that with with many artists, many bands out there. Look, it's just the way I work, you know. I like the sort of hit and miss element of songwriting, you know. I like the fact that when you're writing a given song and you get that rush of blood and you think, well, the world can't do without this song. The the world's got to have this song or, you know, something's going to explode and and so you you write that song but when it's finished like i say well i'm sort of happy for it to sit there look i I know plenty of writers that do write the album they're about to record you know like a good example of that darren hamlin who's a really good friend of mine and i know that when darren's going to make an album he generally hasn't got songs he'll and he'll go away you know maybe two weeks on his own and just write and then those 10 songs that he writes are the songs that go on the album. What's your method of, of writing a song? Do you sit down with your guitar? Do you sit behind a piano? I still tend to write from just a single guitar or, you know, mandolin or whatever, whatever whatever's on hand. never seems to come easy, you know, but you're always kind of thinking about... I, I kind of think that the reason this thing happens, which all songwriters seem to talk about, that they have this, this song that they sit down and write in five minutes... I think the reason that can happen is because you've actually been writing that song in your head for a long time. You've been tossing around rhymes and ideas and added, like just little attitudes, a way, of, a way of addressing a particular subject. Yeah, it's uh, it's all. I'm always very intrigued about the the songwriting process. I spoke to Mark Gable, Choir Boys, the other day. He said a similar thing. Sometimes he sits there, he puts the guitar in front of him, and he'll he'll, he'll hum, um, he'll say words. The words won't be what what'll actually turn up in the song. But I'm always very interested. A lot of people are like, there's a lot of people that can't write songs, and they find it fascinating. Yeah, look, the, the process is fascinating, and I do a lot of work for my my brother who runs a film company out of Hobart called Raw film and he's got these ongoing projects that me and him have worked on you know for like years and years and years and he'll you know, be part of a project and he'll say well we want to put together you know 15 five minute film clips of these particular songs that's you know he said this big long one about convict history you know and uh 
and, and I've got these songs that I've, you know, and he'll give me all these options of different characters to write about. And he goes, well, I really need these songs. And I just go, great. You know, and there's nothing like being made to sit down and write a song because if you're made to do it, well, then you do it. The problem for me is once you've got like a, a bunch of albums under your belt, unless I'm made to write a song, it, it's sort of, you've got to trick yourself into that that state of mind of like the world really needs this song, you know, and geez, having a commission to write a song is, is a great luxury to have sometimes, especially if you're going to get paid for it. <laughs> Money's always good. When we talk about weddings, take me back to, to when the band started. I, I, everywhere I read, they say when, once weddings, parties, anything kicked off, it was quite a quick rise to fame. Is that, um, is that a fair assumption? It, look, it is now. It, the time it's been to be taking forever. But, you know, when I look at it now and I go, God, things happen so quickly. I can sort of pinpoint exactly where I was on my 21st birthday. And the weddings were nowhere near inside at that point in time. And then I sort of moved to Melbourne and some things did and didn't go right. And then if I sort of go back to the first letter that I wrote to Mark Wallace, and that was in 84. So he joined the, the weddings. The weddings were already done about three or four gigs with another lineup, and it hadn't really worked, but it, it made me feel positive about the idea of that band. That was in 1983. So that was 1984 that I'd sent him that thing. And we were signed by 1986, and so Scorn of the Women was finished by 1986, and then 88 was Roaring Days. 89, we went to Memphis to do um, Big Don't Argue, which came out in, in 90. Difficult Loves was 91, so the Song of the Year and Aria was 92. So, so that, that's the timeline. So that 10-year period, I got the weddings together. We did three albums, one of them overseas, and that that was when, you know, that was the peak of, of the band commercially. So that 10 years was really heady. At the time, it seemed to be taking forever. Just the way you go, you're impatient when you're in your, in your early 20s, aren't you? What was the moment? What was the first little breakthrough that you had? Is there is there anything that stands out in your mind that you remember, oh, we're, we're heading in the right direction sort of thing? Look, I just think it was just when we started to get some crowds, you know, because I think even at the ripe old age of, say, 23, 24, that meant that I'd been playing in bands you know, since I was, before I was 18, but, and I'd never been in a band that had drawn a crowd. And like I say, when, when you're in your late teens, early 20s, to go through those years of, of doing gigs where you never draw a crowd, you, know, you might get a few friends, a dozen people here, a dozen people there, and, you, and you're sort of hoping that that's okay, that, that that's enough for the promoter, that's enough that you're going to get another gig. I can still remember when the, when the weddings first had a residency, when Wally joined the band, and that's when it seemed to take off um, in, say, 84. And, you know, going from, you know, 20 people one week, and then the next people there, next week there'd be 35 people. The next week there was 60 people. Yeah, and just, you know, that, those times when we first cracked it for 100 people were, were just really amazing, amazing things. Then, then we sort of seemed to grind away for a while, and so then all of a sudden... We had a record out and, you know, we were getting threes and four hundreds, you know, and they were really significant things in our head because, like, we'd all been through bands, all of us, that had just not drawn people. And, and once you're sort of drawing some sort of crowd, then it just gives you so much more freedom and license to, you know, to do, to do things, to spend time in the recording studio, to buy a decent guitar, to, you know, all those things that just having a little bit of cash flow... Um, can create when you're um standing up there and there's no one in the crowd you know if you think back to those days what was it inside you that you know didn't just toss it in oh 
bit, you know, obstinacy, but it also maybe, um, you know, my alternatives were I'd, I'd finished at uni, so my alternative was probably going to be go and do a bit of extra uni and become a teacher, which is, you know, seems to be quite a family thing. Like there's a few teachers in our family, and um, or, you know, going to the public service. That was They were really my two alternatives. I mean, I just liked the idea of, you know, being a musician and, you know, I still I felt that I had something to contribute and offer. I just had to sort of get it into the right um, the right format. But yeah, I mean, there was plenty of uh, there was plenty of times for self doubt and plenty of times when it could have gone a different way. Yeah, I think there's such a great message there to just keep plugging away at your dreams. Uh, don't give up. And then obviously you guys didn't. And Father's Day, that song got released in the early 90s, went on to be a massive hit. Uh, it's such a great song. You just keep writing them, really. And, and it's sort of, it is that, that thing of like, I, I, I do like the hit and miss element of the art form, you know. I, I, I don't think there's much. I mean, you, you get better at certain technical aspects of it but in terms of it's not just you know I've had people say to me oh, you know, your subject matter is really good but it's not there's it's plenty of songs from the point of view of single parents like the Chuck Berry's you know, Memphis Tennessee or it, it, it's out there but it, it's your stance on that so it's not just subject matter it's where you sit in terms of the subject matter it's like are you, write, are you always writing from a first-person narrative or are you writing from something more general? And it's, it's how you locate within that that, that sort of becomes becomes the, um, the the kind of magic, you know, the issue. So there's plenty of um, there's plenty of scope there was what I'm saying to, uh, within yeah. within the subject matter to keep, to keep finding new, new ways of looking at things. Did you know it was a hit when you wrote it? Look, I kind of think they're all hit when, when I write them, but, you know, I mean, I was pretty aware that it was a song that, that, that was probably going to... Or I've, I've had a couple of songs that are, that are bona fide hits in terms of their, you know, qualified that they've reached something on the charts or a sold X amount. But as someone said, you know, weddings were always like, like our own covers band, and, and but we, we, played all, we played all the songs as if they'd been hits, you know? And that was pretty much how I've always attacked it. So, I mean, yeah, in, in one way, yeah, but like in one way, I think that they're all hits when I, when I write them. Some that you know more, more than others. What's the latest with Weddings? I know obviously you, you know, you're in the band, the Roving Commission. Uh, you brought Weddings back last year after almost 10 years out. Where are we at with the band now? Oh, that, that'll be it for a while. You know, I mean, I, you never say never, but it, it's an old car and you got, you know, you can get it out of the garage and give it a polish <laughs> every now and then and take it for a drive on a on a nice Sunday afternoon. But I, I don't see it as much more than that. Yeah, because I chose to, when the wedding's finished, to make my vehicle for doing new music, my other, you know, Mick Pumas and the and the whatever it's going to be. Weddings is frozen in time. It's those pretty songs and... I think that'll be it for a while. All right, Mick. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to have a chat with me today. It's re- been a really good insight just uh, into a few things there, obviously with the with the studio talk and how you write songs and stuff. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. This is- 
There he is, Mick Thomas from Weddings, Parties, Anything. It's always good to have the songwriters on and uh, get a behind-the-scenes look at sort of how they write songs and uh, how they end up winning ARIA awards. Mick is playing a gig this week at the Monday Monday Bash Broken Hill. I think it's a three-day event. It kicks off from Thursday. Uh, weddings won't be there. It's just Mick and his band. It's also headlined by Midnight Oil, Jimmy Barnes, Missy Higgins going to be there, John Stevens, Casey Chambers. Jeez, good lineup. Uh, Daryl Braithwaite also there. So, yeah, if you are thinking about getting away at the end of this week and you want to go for a bit of a drive, Broken Hill is the place to be. Head to mondaymondaybash.com.au and you can grab it yourself some tickets. It is now time for this. Yes, this is the segment where you can write on into the show. You can hit up info at theritzykids.com. Alternatively, you can jump on the Instagram page, the Ritzy Kids Band, which is the band that I play in. You can write anything into the show. And like I've said before, as long as you don't uh, go overboard and abuse me, I might read it out on the show. Chris has written in. He says, I needed something new to listen to at work. Keep it up, loving the podcast. Thanks, Chris, for writing in. And uh, we've had a few messages on the Ritzy Kids Band page as well. Uh, Michael says, come to Texas, simply. That's all he wrote. Um, We would love to. The band would love to go to Texas. I've actually been there before. I stayed in Austin, stayed in Dallas. Um, I remember actually sleeping in the back of the van in El Paso. That was an experience. We also got pulled out of our van at the border with Mexico. We weren't going into Mexico, but we were close enough that uh, they might have thought that we were trying to get in illegally or something along those lines. And the van got searched. They were checking it for drugs and everything else. So uh, that was quite an experience. That's my... (laughs) That's my memory of Texas. Rico's written into the band. He says, it gives me early 2000s vibes. If you ever want to play a small tour in Germany, hit me up. I can arrange that. Okay. You'll have to give me your number, Rico. Um, Can you help us bring a crowd? Because uh, I think you might be one of the only ones that knows us in that country. Also, I've got a bit of gig news. This Sunday, I am playing a free show at the Food and Wine Festival in Gosford. It's at the Entertainment Grounds. It's a free event. If you love your food, you love your wine, you love live music, uh, hopefully it's going to be a nice sunny day, head on out to the Entertainment Grounds Food and Wine Festival. I'll be on stage from 1.50 to 2.50. I've been practicing a lot in the garage. Uh, I uh, I might play some Ritzy Kids songs. I'll also play some of my solo music as well. It's going to be an awesome afternoon as long as the rain keeps away. All right, that's enough for this episode. I'll catch you in the next one. Ta-da. Ta-da.